Let me get into the Word today. I'm excited to share the Word. I have the privilege of continuing a teaching series that we started last week, a series that we're simply calling Seasons of the Soul. Seasons of the Soul. This series is important because if life and faith and scriptures teach us anything, it's this. We will experience changing seasons in our life. And as Midwesterners, we understand this full well. You talk to somebody in, I don't know, San Diego somewhere, they might be confused about having different seasons. But as Midwesterners, we understand because we have four, at least four, legit seasons every year. That is to say that you could be running on the lakefront in short shorts and a tank top one day. And the very next day, you would need a full-length fur coat because the seasons, the seasons will change, right? And so in our life with Jesus, and especially as we engage the Scriptures, it seems like the Scriptures is always sort of preparing us for the reality that seasons will change. Look at passages or chapters in Scripture like Ecclesiastes 3 that highlight the fact that there is a time and there is a season for everything, and we will move in and out of these seasons. It seems like the Scriptures, it seems like Jesus is preparing us to explore, to appreciate, and to expect the changing of the seasons. And not just to just sort of survive the changing of the seasons, Jesus wants us to thrive in all these seasons. I'm talking about seasons where we're up or seasons where we're down. Seasons where there's joy, seasons where there's pain. Seasons where there's sunshine, seasons where there's rain, everything else in between. And here's why this discourse is important. Because some of us only know how to be when things are even and calm. Some of us are only doing well when things are even and calm. You say, preacher, don't you, don't you mean to say that some of us are only uh, okay when we're doing really, really well? No, I said what I said because I meant what I meant. Some of us are only okay when things are even and steady because some of us would be completely derailed by overwhelming success. Some of you, it would be the noose around your neck to get a whole lot of money right away or to have your hopes and dreams realized, some of you would lose your mind and you'd lose your salvation if you were having high highs, right? But what many of us know and many of us resonate with is the fact that many of us lose all of our marbles in the valleys of life. We don't know how to exist. We don't know how to thrive in the valleys of life and so this conversation, this ongoing conversation about how to weather the seasons of life and how to not just survive them, but how to thrive in the changing seasons of life, the changing seasons of the soul, it's not just helpful, but it's necessary. And so Pastor Shannon did a fantastic job last week as she opened the series highlighting the importance of building the house that is our life on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. She camped out at the end of Matthew chapter 7, and she framed for us how the way not to be blown over by the winds and the waves of life, and might I also add how to not be blown over by the successes and the highs of life, is to build 
your life on the firm foundation that is Christ. As the songwriter wrote, on Christ the solid rock, I stand all other ground is what? It's sinking sand. And so she framed well the very beginning of this conversation that we must build our life on the truth, on the principles, on the standards that is Christ. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go deeper into what it might look like to stand on the solid rock during the different seasons of the soul, taking a different look from different perspectives on how to root ourselves in what God says about all these changing seasons of life. Today, I want to drop into the book of Psalms, particularly Psalm chapter 73. The Psalms are 150 chapters of God-inspired honesty and poetry and some of it even prophecy. And these God-inspired pages give us a window, many of them, into the various seasons of the human life, various seasons of the human soul. And while there's so much beauty in the Psalms and so much poetry in the Psalms, I am personally drawn to the grittiness that exists in some of the Psalms. I appreciate the realness that the Psalms work to lean towards some of the harder things and some of the harder seasons of life, and it resonates with my humanity. It might even resonate with your humanity because the grittiness and the struggle and the pain is familiar to many of us, particularly as we're challenging and navigating various difficult seasons of life. This is meaningful because as I reflect on both the grittiness of the Psalms, the realness that I see there, and the challenges that I face in my own life, I've come to realize that it's true that I've grown the most. I've been helped the most as I've gone through the challenging seasons of my life, the harder seasons, those gritty moments in my life, uh, because life's hardships contains gifts that sometimes we can't experience or unwrap in some of the better times of life. That is to say that the rocky, more tumultuous seasons of life can teach us more about life, can teach us more about God, can teach us more about faith, can teach us more about ourselves than the more favorable seasons of life. Is that right? And so on this particular day, as we look at this particular psalm, I want to visit the subject of disappointment. This is one of the important seasons of the soul. Disappointment. And when I talk about disappointment, I'm talking about the sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. When I'm talking about disappointment this morning, I'm talking about when what we counted on to happen doesn't happen. When who we counted on to come through doesn't come through. When what we were planning on and moving things around to make room for don't quite show up, disappointment. That's what I'm talking about. Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever been disappointed? I mean like deeply disappointed. If you have been alive for more than about two hours. As I see precious little one back there. If you've been, been alive for more than a couple hours, you've been disappointed. The food isn't coming fast enough. Who turned on all these lights? 
Somebody come pick me up out of this bed, right? You've dealt with disappointment. And sometimes we're dealing with moments of disappointment. You've had a profound moment of disappointment that just takes the wind out of you. And if that's not bad enough, others of us are more acquainted with seasons. Seasons of disappointment. Well, the disappointment comes and it stays. Well, the disappointments stack up on top of each other. And that thing might hang around for a few days or a few weeks or a few months or a few years. You get where I'm going with this. And somebody said, preacher, you are coming down my aisle today because that's where I am. And you know that along with this season of disappointment comes profound discouragement, often profound depression. It steals your joy, robs you of the zest of life, and it tests your faith in ways that few others can. I'm talking this morning about seasons of disappointment. Because if we don't learn to navigate the inevitable seasons of dis, dis, uh, disappointment, you simply won't make it. Doesn't mean you're going to die, but you won't live the good life. You won't have a rich, satisfying life with the Lord that flows with it, the blessings and the beauty of all of that. You, you won't thrive as a believer, unless you have some tools, unless you have some insight from the scripture as to how to navigate the seasons of disappointment. I've simply called this message this morning, Navigating Seasons of Disappointment. I'll be in Psalm chapter 73 this morning, so meet me there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to engage with the scriptures on your phone. We'll also be projecting on the screens. Psalm 73, while you find that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather in your house and worship you. Would you draw near to us this morning? Because I know in a room this size, there is somebody here, or somebody watching, that's in a season of disappointment that has some questions for you. And they're wondering, Lord, is it okay to feel this way? Is it okay to be honest with you? Is it okay to speak this out loud? And Father, I pray that you would grant us in our souls the permission to experience the full range of emotion this morning. Confident, Lord, that you will sit in this with us and help us make sense of it all. Come, Holy Spirit. Draw near to us as we draw close to you. Put power on these words you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Psalm chapter 73, I'll start at verse 1. Psalmist says, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envy the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. 
They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jewel necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. Verse 9, they boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. This person is like in it, right? Now, if I'd really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Verse 17, then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over a cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at a dream in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up on the inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. This is the word of the Lord. And at the expense of sounding like a broken record, this is, this is one of my favorite texts. It is by far my favorite psalm, largely because it's real. It's authentic. You could sit in church your whole life and not ever get permission to talk to God in this way. You could sit in church your whole life and not get permission to bring your whole self to God, how you're really feeling. You could sit in church your whole life, go to small groups. You could even lead and, and not have somebody tell you that you can be honest with God. In case this is the first time you're hearing it, you can be honest with God. The psalmist is dealing with some serious business. This is a hard thing he's dealing with. And if you have eyes to see it, you can see the beauty in his trial, the gift in the midst of this challenging season. And if you have eyes to see it, maybe you can locate yourself in the text this morning, because it's not hard to see that the psalmist is struggling. Verse 1, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. And basically, he starts out by saying, I'm cool right now. I'm, I'm okay right now. I can see clearly right now. God is good. All but a few moments ago, I was struggling. He said, God is good. 
I'm good right now, but verse 2, but as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. The psalmist is being honest with us about something he just came through. He said, I was slipping. I was tripping. I was, as, as the old church might say, he might say, I was starting to backslide. So he's not having a bad day. He's having a full-blown crisis of faith. He's slipping away from God, slipping away from communion with God. He's in deep here. Now, what's the cause of all this? What's the culprit? He finds some cute little honey that's starting to pull him away from the things of God. Is he tempted by dishonest gain or climbing some type of ladder? Is he tempted to pursue? What is it that's just pulling him away? Verse 3 tells us, For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. It ain't some sweet honey that's pulling them away. Or the call of fame or riches or wealth. It is the prosperity of the wicked that is driving him away from God. It is the prosperity of the wicked that is causing him to drift from communion with God, that's causing him to backslide or retreat from the things of God. He says in his own words, I was almost gone. This had completely almost taken him over. And what was happening? He was looking at those around him. And by comparison, the wicked seemed to be winning. By comparison, the wicked seemed to be winning. And when he compared his life with the wicked around him, he had some questions for God. His soul began to be disquieted, and it caused him to drift. He began to be dissatisfied with his life, particularly his choices particularly the ways he's chosen to attach himself to God, he was dissatisfied. And dissatisfaction in our faith is dangerous because John Piper says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And it says the reason that if we are dissatisfied in him, then God gets less glory or no glory. He's dissatisfied. But it's deeper than dissatisfaction. It is a disappointment. He's disappointed with God. He hasn't gotten what he feels like he deserves. His expectations have not been met. His life is not what he expected to be. Can anybody relate to this this morning? That you thought surely as you walked with God that you'd uh, have a little bit more money by now. That maybe you'd be married by now or married to somebody that you wanted to be married to. Or that your career would be in a different place. You're disappointed. And what's worse, when he beholds those who are wicked, as he calls them, or those who, who, who don't give a rip about the things of God, he can't quite put it together. It's one thing to be dissatisfied, and I got what you, what you had hoped for, but when you see folks who are living other than godly, they seem to be winning 
This is messing him up. And some of us can relate. He wants God to unleash the fire and fury of heaven. To lay the smackdown on the wicked. And when it doesn't come, he's upset. He's dissatisfied. Worse, he's disappointed. And whose feet does he lay the blame of all of this? He seems to lay the blame at the feet of the Lord. He's dissatisfied, disappointed with God. And this is toxic in a million different ways. This will eat your lunch in a million different ways. And some of you, you say, well, that's where I am right now. That's where I am right now. Three things that I notice flow from his disappointment, particularly his disappointment with God. The first thing is that sin takes hold. When we're dissatisfied or disappointed with God, we can fold our arms and say, fine, fine. You won't do what I want. You won't do what I expected. I won't do what you expected. Anybody ever been there? Sin takes hold because sin loves to ride in on the back of our disappointment. I'm reminded of the words that God spoke to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. He says, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, waiting for somebody to just crack it just a little bit, waiting on the right conditions to slip in there. And disappointment, particularly a season of disappointment when it's prolonged and stretched out and compounded by other disappointments, is an open window for sin to slip in. And many of us can resonate with that. Verse 3, he makes a confession that tells you particularly what area of sin has crept into his life. He says, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wisdom. You said, that's a sin. Yeah, it's in the book. Envy, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, somebody else's qualities, or somebody else's good fortune. Anybody ever partake? It's often accompanied by envy's cousin jealousy to feel resentment, bitterness or hostility towards someone because they have something that you don't. And all of this gives way to what the Bible calls covetousness, which is an inordinate desire for wealth or possession or something that somebody else has. The scriptures tell us, do not covet. Sin sneaks in on the back of this disappointment. The second thing that happens is his vision gets distorted. His vision gets distorted. He starts seeing life and, and the things of the people around them through lenses that don't quite give him a very clear picture. Verse 4, they seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They are not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear their pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their, while their riches multiply. 
He's seeing life through a certain lens. Their, kid, their babies don't even cry. Their kids are so good. They take such nice trips. They never argue. Look at that couple I just watched. They just never argue. He opens the door for her. Like, they never have any trouble. And all I want to know is, how do you know that? How do you know that kids don't cry? You only see them in public. You only see a small slice. But you've come to the conclusion that their life is way better than yours. Way better than yours. He, he is deep in his feelings. And when you're in this particular place, everybody's grass looks greener than yours. And when you're in this place, this dark, parched place, everybody's hand looks better than yours. And so the scholars have tried throughout the years to, to figure out how Asaph, the psalmist, have gotten to this place. Or he's sure that the wicked don't have trouble. Or he's pining and coveting and jealous and envious of the, the scholars have turned their minds over and over. How did he get to this place? And they have all concluded that he's been spending too much time on social media. That's what's happened. <laughs> he's been on Instagram. And he's doing that thing that we do where we take somebody's highlights and we compare it to our Monday. They took 71 pictures to, to get that one that they posted. And there's been all kinds of filters on it. I've seen pictures of people, I go, I don't know who this person is. That's a beautiful person, but that's not you. <laughs> I've seen posts from couples who have left my counseling chair just the day before. And I saw the post and I thought, man, the Lord must have worked that thing out because... Yesterday, they've been on social media. And this is, and this is a fitting for every stage of life. We got our students in here. You don't escape this sort of deep disappointment with God. You've been taught that God blesses the righteous with favor. You've been taught that if you comport yourself a certain way, that God's blessings and favor will fall upon you. But all the while you look around and the, the meanest kids are the most popular ones. The cruelest ones enjoy all the favor. Same for young adults, whether you're a parent, whether you're single, whether you're middle-aged, etc. It doesn't matter. We all... And Asaph is really upset by this. This is more than a fleeting issue, more than a minor scuffle. This is deep. Its impact's far-reaching. He's having a full-blown crisis of faith. And the third and final thing that I see, at least in this text, is that peace leaves. Soul is disquieted. So how do you know we don't have any peace? Verse 16, so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. and What a difficult task it is. I get the idea that this preoccupation with trying to figure this out and trying to make sense of something, a conclusion that he's reached as a result of his skewed vision, 
He's turning it over in his mind. He's laying awake before, you know, first thing he wakes up thinking about it. He can't get to sleep because he's thinking about it. He's lost his peace, and it's all tied to his disappointment with God. All tied to his distorted vision. And what I know from personal experience is that if you stay here too long, drift occurs. You begin to drift. Some of us, just a millimeter at a time, we begin to drift. And this drift is is a nightmare. Because in this particular moment in time, some of us have drifted under the convenient cover of COVID-19. The pandemic's probably messing with your money, messing with your health, messing with your you know, stability and your rhythms and your relationships. As we point the finger at God, drift happens. As sin creeps in, drift happens. And then, okay, I can watch, I guess I can catch the live stream uh, at home. Then I guess I can catch it Tuesday when I have a little more time. And then, right? And all of a sudden it's like, dang, I ain't been to church in a minute. Drift under the convenient cover COVID-19. Now, Shannon pointed this out to me this week as we were discussing this. It's easy to read this prayer as the psalmist is having a bad day. This is like a moment of prayer. He's having this. Okay, he talks to this and then, but this is more than likely a, a profound season of disappointment. Like we're getting it like in one chunk, but like it's likely that he's walked through this. And he's sort of just now telling us about it. A season of disappointment. And this hits all of us. All of us. It hits all of us. And I want you to just pause a second and think, how does this land on you today? Like, process how this might be. What's the outworking of this in your life? You're a teenage girl and you say, I've heard my whole Christian life, the purity and holiness and kindness and the promises of God are mine to behold, but what good is any of that if no boys will talk to me? Some of you have consistently have, as we say, more month than money. Life is a struggle in ways that you can't imagine. God, why don't you just fix this? My relationships are tense. My career is diving. My health or the health of my family is failing. Like you're in a season of disappointment. Parents, you've got a kid that is driving you crazy, kid. You've got a parent that is driving you crazy. Single for a while with no prospects of it turning around. God, where are you at? I did all the stuff the book says to do. So some of us are here. I'm glad this psalm doesn't stop there. There's like a second half to this. And I'm grateful for it. Because a dynamic shift occurs somewhere around verse 17. 
And a number of the Psalms, if you've ever engaged with the Psalms, almost seem like two different people wrote it. Like you read the first half, and the psalmist is really distraught. God, I hate my life. Just kill me now. Take my enemy's babies and dash them against the rocks. You're like, that's in the Bible. And then two verses later, Lord, I will drink the dew from the leaves. <laughs> As I frolic with you in the morning. You're like, Who, which two people wrote this? This person needs to see a counselor, right? This is one of those psalms. A dynamic shift occurs around verse 17, and the psalmist doesn't leave us guessing about what causes the shift. He tells us plainly in verse 17, I'm in my feelings. I'm tripping. I'm backsliding. I'm drifting. Sin has taken hold. My vision is skewed. My peace has escaped me. But then I went into your sanctuary, O oh God. And I finally understood what I needed to understand. You know, this is, preachers love this text. Especially as we're trying to gather all the kittens of the congregation that have scattered during COVID. This verse sings, I went into the sanctuary and then I understood that which I didn't previously understand. He enters the sanctuary. In short, he went to worship. If you're sitting at home trying to figure out how to overcome a season of disappointment on your own, you probably wouldn't come to the conclusion that going to the sanctuary would be the fix. You'd probably be trying to figure out a way to cook the circumstances, to change the circumstance, because if the circumstances are different, then I'll be different. If the things around me change, then, then maybe I'll change. If, if things are better out there, then maybe things will be better in here. And the scriptures never show us God spending a whole lot of time changing the stuff out there. He almost always wants to change us. He enters the sanctuary and things starts to change. He engages or re-engages engages the rhythm of worship. And as we said a few weeks ago, rhythms are what? Rhythms are reminders. The disciplines, the rhythms are reminders. And he learns so much when he enter, enters the sanctuary. He learns so much when he enters the place of praise. And can I just say, to sort of bring this into our particular contractual reality, he, he says, I, I went into the house of the Lord to worship. Guess where you are right now? You're in the house of worship. You're in the place of praise. You're in one of God's chosen vehicles to get you back right when you've started to drift. And what's so special about this place? What's so special about this gathering? We talked, it about a few, talked about it a few weeks ago. Worship. Those old songs that we sing. Those songs that are just prayers that have been set to music. Helpful reminders. Like what we sang today. That help us to remember the things that are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes on Sunday have caused us to forget about God, about this human life. And most importantly about ourselves, those old songs that we sing that get us right. You are God alone. 
from before time began, you are on your throne. We sing that. All of a sudden, our heart starts to remember that which it forgot. You're a way maker. Promise keeper, light in the darkness, right? All of a sudden, you go, okay. <laughs> no power of hell, no scheme of man. Can ever pluck me from his hand. And then you go, okay. I'm back. Worship. And then some sweaty preacher gets up and opens the book. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit's leading comes right down your aisle. And for a minute, you're upset because you feel like your wife has texted me. And say, preacher, there's a 20 in it for you if you could slip this in. <laughs> You're sure that's what's happened? <laughs> Nobody slipped me any 20s, by the way. I wouldn't take it for that purpose. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit can have this one message come down every aisle in this place because we open the living word. And in that living word, there is encouragement, daily, fresh bread for today. For you. And for you, there's encouragement. Fills your tank so you can run another mile. There is a challenge that sometimes is a kick in the behind to get you out of a place of comfort into the thick of what God has for you. There is preaching. Oh, and there's also the fine people in the house of God. Folk that love you, that have your back, concerned about you. Kind of nosy, too, because they'll get up in your business a little bit. They might say, where you been? The church, the sanctuary, the vehicle that God uses to get us right when we start to drift, especially when we get alone with our disappointment. He enters the sanctuary, and as he enters the sanctuary, he sees things that he couldn't see before. He learns some things about God and learns some things about himself that his previous situation could not allow him to see. To put it a different way, he gains perspective. Some of us are looking for God. Okay, he went to the sanctuary and God poured him out a blessing. He didn't have room enough to receive. Or his ship came in or God fixed it. No, he went to worship he pressed in closer to God and the things of God, and he was able to see that which he wasn't able to see. Three things that he sees as he leans into worship. First, he saw that God is just. He was reminded that God is just. Now, 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 this plays a big part because a lot of times when we're disappointed with God, we feel like God has let us down. That God didn't give us what he owed us. Especially when we behold people around us and the pros wicked are prospering. We think, like, God, like, are, you, are, you, are you off today? 
Like, is that person's house situated in your blind spots or where, like, they can get away with something there? But he was reminded that God is just. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over a cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrorists. When you arise, O God, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at a dream in the morning. All of a sudden, he's able to see nobody's getting away with anything. And as my mama used to say, if God don't get you in the wash, he'll get you in the rinse. Paul says God's justice won't be mocked. So relax, put the gavel down. That ain't your job anyway. God's justice will happen whether you see it or not. And as quiet as it's kept, God is also good. And so he's probably giving them time to get it right like he gave you time to get it right. He sees that God is just. Second thing he sees, he's able now to see his own contribution to the craziness. We won't talk about this part. Show me your glory and show me all that Jackson needs to fix about Jackson. Lord, give me some wisdom and insight to straighten him out. Lord, in your presence, just tell me what my wife Shannon, just tell me, Lord, give me a word for her so she can fly straight. I don't know about you, but when I'm in God's presence, he's showing me me. Try as I might to get a word from my wife or to get my word to straighten you out. When I'm in God's presence, when I'm in my feelings, when I'm sideways with the Lord and I enter his presence, you know who he talks to me about? He talks to me about me. He puts the mirror of his word and his truth in front of me. Verse 22, then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up on the inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. He said, I can see now. Uh, <laughs> my bad. I was tripping. That's, that's, that's me, Lord. There's a sobriety in the presence of God that helps us deal with these seasons. Why? Because we can't see our, we're the last person to see us. We're the last person to, to, to see how we've contributed to the nightmare that is some of our lives. And when I've been in seasons of deep, profound disappointment, I've needed to see myself. Third and final thing that he sees as he pleasures into worship, he's reminded of God's unfailing love for him. Perhaps the most important of all. He's reminded of God's justice. He's able to see his own folly and the way he's contributed to this. But above all, he concludes by helping us understand that he is now reminded of God's unfailing love. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak. These kids might drive me crazy. These parents might drive you crazy. 
My finances may never improve. My health may never improve. I might die behind this thing. But not even death will separate me from your love. God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Now, maybe some of you are disappointed right now because you were, you were hoping that I give you five steps to turn this situation around and, and to fix these external things. But all of these things in the presence of God calibrate our inner life, our inner souls, so that we might relate to God and press into him and that we might gain heaven's perspective. Perspective. Surrounding the things that have caused disappointment. Who today, and worship team, you can come up. Who today is in a season of disappointment? Who today can resonate with the honest words of the psalmist Asaph? Who's come in today with a bone to pick with God? who, as they further sort of admit and confess to things, might say that, that sin has taken hold, rhythms have relaxed, skewed and distorted vision in unhelpful ways. And one of the surest signs that this is camped out in your life is that you don't have the deep and abiding peace that passes all understanding. Who among us would say, that they might benefit from heaven's perspective. Who more than needing God to change your circumstance need God's to, needs God to change you. As you press, press back into those rhythms, as you press back into the presence of God, vision is renewed. The justice of God is reaffirmed. And more than anything, you experience and you become more aware of God's deep and abiding love for you and that he is incapable of letting you down and letting you go. And might I just also say that if you're ever sideways, if you're ever confused about whether or not God will keep his end of the bargain, if you're ever sideways with what God is doing in your life, the problem is never God. It's, it's never God. And I've come to this realization over and over that if I'm sideways with God, like, I need to recalibrate. Like, I need to get right. I need to press in. Lord, help me see what I'm not seeing. Help me find that which has escaped me. Help me uncover that which is buried by the circumstance. Lord, will you help me see what I can't see? Let me press in a little further. Who am I talking to today? And my prayer is that as we lean in today, that the Lord would meet you. He'd open your eyes. And that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you. Your presence is here. 
that there is power in your name to break the chains of everything that's binding us, including disappointment. We especially lay at the altar this morning those who are just beside themselves with disappointment. It was all they could do to just be in the building today, Lord. We, we lay them on your altar. Come, Holy Spirit.